First lesson from the Hebrew Scriptures comes to us from Joshua, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I will be reading from my third grade Bible. Uh, I'm sorry, from the New Revised Standard Version. Believe it or not. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it in our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you will in turn deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided within the wall itself. She said to them, Go forward, go toward the hill country, so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourself there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. This ends our first reading. Our story picks up in verse 17 of chapter 2, right after the spies have gone down outside the outer wall. And they are now letting Rahab know the conditions of this promise. Let us continue to listen for God's word for us this morning. The men said to her, 
We will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to you. If we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down. And you do not gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family. If any of you go out of the doors of your house into the street, they shall be responsible for their own death and we shall be innocent. But if a hand is laid upon any who are with you in the house, we shall bear the responsibility for their death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath that you made us swear to you. She said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away and they departed. Then she tied the crimson cord in the window. They departed and went to the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers had searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men came again, came down again from the hill country. They crossed over, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Truly the word the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before us. And then our story speeds ahead to chapter 6. A lot has happened between chapter 2 and chapter 6. The Hebrew people have indeed invaded, and the powerful walled city of Jericho has fallen. That crimson cord has done its job. Let us listen again from chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of it, and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought Rahab out, along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought, out all her, they brought all her kindred out and set them outside the camp of Israel. They burned down the city and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared. Her family has lived in Israel Ever since, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They crept into town, watching for anyone who might be staring at them for too long, looking for opportunities for entry points, ways that they could continue to go unnoticed in a hostile city. They made their way through streets crowded with people uneasy and afraid about the gathering power that is amassing before them. They come to a place where they think they can get information and now hide 
because they know that the powers that be in the city know that they are there. They enter and are greeted by the owner of the establishment, a woman famous for her experience and her profession. This woman quickly hides them and then helps them on their way home. I am, of course, describing the scene from Mockingjay, the third book in The Hunger Games. When Katniss Everdeen and her fellow champions and rebels have entered the capital in an attempt to bring down President Snow and his repressive regime. But I had you for a second, didn't I? The scene from The Hunger Games and probably countless other movies and unfortunately lived experience sounds familiar, like it's ripped from the pages of the book of Joshua. And it could be. Our story here about Rahab comes at a pivotal moment in the story of the Hebrew people. Moses has died. That generation that was forced to wander in the wilderness has finally all perished, which means they are now ready to enter into the promised land. Joshua, Moses' appointed servant, has taken over as the leader of the people, and the Hebrews are about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, into this land that has lived as a vision in their heads, as a promise from God, in preparation For this momentous occasion, Joshua has sent spies to Jericho, this fabled walled city whose defenses are supposed to be legendary, impenetrable. So these two spies enter Jericho and they head straight for the prostitute's house, for Rahab's house. I have always thought that that was the strangest decision for two spies from a people who were guided by God's will. So much for the spy game. I mean, but then I watched the Game of Thrones and I began to think a little differently about what they might have been going there for. It made more sense. I don't know if you all have seen that show, but Littlefinger, the owner of all the brothels in in Game of Thrones, knew everything all the time. Because women in that profession would be visited by a broad cross-section of the city's inhabitants. They were visited by the rich, by the poor, by government officials, by ordinary citizens, by powerful and wealthy and those who lived every day on the margins. These women would hear the details of everything. They would know secrets about what people really thought, about what people were really feeling, what people were really thinking about their elected officials, about what was happening, and what was about to happen. In addition, no one would notice or spend too much time looking at who was coming and going from such an establishment. They didn't want to know too many details. So two guys, two strangers, going to 
a brothel might go unnoticed. It's not a bad decision for these two spies to find out what is really happening in Jericho. But of course, that is not how things played out. Word spreads pretty quickly to the king of Jericho that these spies are in the city and that they are, in fact, at Rahab's establishment. But Rahab, my friends, is smart. She has been listening. She knows the pulse of the city. The men of Jericho have been talking about this power of the Hebrew people's God who guides the chosen people and that they are amassed at the Jordan River just waiting to come and claim the land. Rahab knows what it means that these strangers are at her door in this moment. She recognizes who they represent. In them, she sees the God of the Hebrew people approaching, and she wasted no time taking action. She hides them in what I imagine is a thrilling action sequence. Rahab tells the men to make their way quietly and quickly to the roof, and she covers them with the flax, flax that would one day become the fine linen thread used to create her garments that would entice so many. Just as the men are hidden under the flax, there comes a knock at the door. The king's guard have come to capture the men. They want to bring them to the king and torture them. But Rahab, using all the skills that she has amassed, is a superb actress and says, Oh, that's who those guys were? Well, you heard right. There were two strangers here, but I didn't know where they came from. You missed them. They are not here anymore. I don't know where they went, but I know they left the city just as the gates were closing. Quick, hurry, go catch them. You can catch them on the road. Go, go. She's brilliant, y'all. Brilliant. Now up on the roof, under the weight of the flax, the two Israelite spies were probably sweating for fear of being discovered. Will this woman betray them? What is she telling them downstairs right now? What is she saying to them? Are those steps coming my way? What is happening? Can you feel the tension in the text? Can you imagine it? But I bet, as they're sitting under that flax, they are wondering, why is this stranger, this prostitute, helping us? What is happening right now? I would guess that many of us are asking the very same thing. Why would this woman of Jericho offer to help the Israelites? Why would this prostitute, who is literally living on the margins of society, y'all, the text says she lives in the outer wall, living on the margins of society, risk everything to help two Israelite spies? 
after the guards left to pursue them, they went out through the gates. Rahab returns to the roof and lays all her cards on the table. I know exactly who you are. I knew as soon as you came through the doors. I've heard the stories of God's power. I know that your God has promised this land to you. This land on which we are living, your God has promised to you. I also know that the people of this city are pretending to be brave, but I know their fear of your God and that your presence will melt their hearts and their courage. She's a smart woman. As I was reading and rereading this text, on one level, her explanation sounds like the words of a smart woman, a smart woman who is a survivor. She understands the power that is about to fall upon the city, and she wants to place herself on the right side of power. But the more I read the stories, the more I read about Rahab, I think the stories that she's heard about God's people and the power of Yahweh worked their way through her brain and into her heart. She heard the story of this people who once lived in slavery who lived in captivity in a land that was not their own, forced to live in ways on the margins that were deeply uncomfortable, degrading. She heard the stories of how this people were guided into safety through the parting of the Red Sea by the power of a God who cared enough to show up. In recognizing the power of the God of the Israelites, she must have recognized and wanted to be part of that story. The story of a God who acts on behalf of those who were outcasts. To be part of the story of a God who acts on behalf of those on the margins, those who lived at the whims of those in power of this world, those who have no other hope but to rely on the power and grace of God. I believe this recognition inspired hope in Rahab. Hope that maybe she could know this God too. And that maybe this God already knows her. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below, she says in verse 11. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. For her, it's a statement of fact and an affirmation of faith. It moves from her head into her heart. And she sees herself in the Hebrew people. 
But she's a smart businesswoman. She negotiates for special considerations. She wants a place in the future with God's people, and she knows how to get what she wants. So she risks everything. She risks her very life. She risks the life of her family members to help the Israelite spies. She guides them to the hills to avoid the king's guard on the road. (laughs) She sends the king's guard down the road, and then she... I love this part. She helps the spies down the outer wall, and then it feels to me like a Monty Python scene. The spies are on the ground, and they're shouting up, "We, you did this for me. <laughs> like, it's dark. They're trying to get away, and they're yelling back and forth, is what I imagine, right? She's helped them scale down the wall. If you don't put that cord in your window, and if you don't do this and this and this, it's on you. It's not on us. Like, I mean, she's just helped them escape, people. That's where my brain went. It feels very comedic. Like, shouldn't they have done that before they went down? Rahab knows what she's doing. She's smart. These spies, not so much. They are shouting up from the bottom of the wall to Rahab, who's comfortably in her window. But Rahab is good to her word. She abides by every detail of the agreement. She holds her tongue. She hangs that red cord out her window, and she keeps her family close, telling them to stay in her apartment. In the same way, the spies return to Joshua, And I imagine these guys are telling a daring tale of their escape to the dreaded forces of Jericho. But when it comes to describing Jericho, they quote Rahab, almost word for word. Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Those were her words. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before us. These spies have completely accepted Rahab's authority, Rahab's wisdom, Rahab's knowledge of the status of Jericho. The book of Joshua continues, and there are glorious battles. If you like the books of Game of Thrones, you should read the book of Joshua. Lots of war, lots of battle. Lots of demonstrations of God's power. The walls, the fabled walls of Jericho fall and the city is burned. But before that happens, like in Egypt, the wrath of God passes over Rahab. Because she has followed the instructions. Marking her window with the red cord. For me, the allusions to the Passover are striking to me. In Egypt, with the blood of the lamb, the Israelites marked their safety. In Jericho, the prostitute and her family marked their safety with a red cord that provided safety for the Hebrew people. Recognizing her faithfulness, God's power, passes over her house and her people were spared from what befell the rest 
of the city. And she is let out of harm's way. The story of Rahab is remarkable. It is exciting and action-packed. So much so that it is easy to miss the fact that there are only two named characters in the whole story. Joshua, the newly minted leader of the Israelites. There's a lot of talk about the two spies, but they are never named. The king of Jericho, never named. Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho the only other named person in this story. Names whose names are included have power in Scripture. As this story was passed down for generations and generations, orally, storytelling community, and then written, the two people named Joshua, Rahab. The other striking thing about this story for me is that God did not need Rahab. God did not need to honor that promise that these two spies made on God's behalf. The Lord did not need her to risk everything. The Lord did not need that cord to be hanging out of the window. God's victory over Jericho did not depend in any way on Rahab. When you read the full story of Joshua, it is quite clear that God's power is more than enough for those feeble walls of Jericho. But I think in Rahab, God sees faithfulness. God feels the change in her heart and passes over her home and in doing so, grafts her into the covenant of blessing for God's chosen people. God didn't need Rahab, but God chose Rahab. Rahab the prostitute who lived on the edges of society, passed over her, grafting her into the covenant for God's chosen people. We don't hear about Rahab again in the Old Testament. There are no more stories about this woman who changed the course of her people But we do hear about her in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, generations after she lived. We hear about her one more time in the genealogy of Jesus. That's right, Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, whose recognition of God's power and promises transformed her heart, becomes a part of the lineage of God's Son born into the world. Rahab had everything she needed right where she was. Was it the perfect life? No. Probably not. 
but she had all she needed there in Jericho. Sure, she lived at the edges of society, but she had her own measure of power. She knew everyone's stories. She had her own rules. She had her own way of protecting her family. But in the face of God's power in the world, she was moved to risk it all. She could see the world changing around her, but she didn't cling to the way things always were. She didn't feel, or she didn't allow her feelings to keep her trapped. Instead, she trusted in God, even at the risk of losing her own life. Even at the risk of losing her own life, she trusted in the power of God. I have been thinking a lot about that kind of trust lately. Probably as I have been pondering church leadership as I was working with our new elders in preparation for ordination and installation. Also, as I've been thinking about the future of the church in the world today. And I have to say that I love that our Book of Order, one part of the Constitution of the PCUSA, includes these words. The church is to be the community of faith, entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its own life. The church is to be the community of faith, entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its own life. We are called to be a community of faith. Entrusting ourselves to God alone, even at the risk of losing our own lives. Not many of us will have lives of intrigue like Rahab. At least I don't think so. I mean, if you do, I want to hear the stories. But we are all called to risk. To risk in some small way, in some grand, big way. We are all called to risk our lives for our faith. Maybe it's choosing your major in college, choosing your next career path, choosing to stand up to a friend or stranger who is being abusive, saying hurtful and terrible things, We are called to allow our faith to guide how we live each and every day. To put our faith in God alone and trust that God's power will pass over us and graft us into the covenant of blessing. And then like Abraham and Sarah, to allow that blessing to flow through us to become a blessing for others. As we move through our lives, who or what are we protecting so that God's plans for creation can come to fruition? Who or what are you protecting so that God's plans can come to fruition? As we move through our lives, 
What relationships are we protecting? What paths are we walking so that God's purposes for the world might be worked out in our daily lives? We are all called to risk in some small and grand way. And friends, the stories of God's power, God's grace, and God's faithfulness surround you, inviting you to be transformed like Rahab, so that you too may risk all that you have to further God's purposes in the world. We gather for worship to be a community of faith, to support one another as we entrust ourselves to God alone as we live lives shaped by the risk of loving God fully and deeply and wholeheartedly. May it be so. Amen.